Welcome to Fleet News Group Podcast. Today I'm talking via Skype with Dundee Scotland's Fraser Crichton. As Corporate Operations Fleet Manager at Dundee Council, Fraser has been at the forefront of implementing electric vehicles and infrastructure at the local authority and winning awards along the way. Welcome, Fraser. Welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Now, I've been doing some research, of course, on Dundee, and I see that you've got more than 200 electric vehicles and that Dundee's a bit of a star for EVs in Europe as one of the greener places and notably for public transport and its innovative charging hubs. So, um, firstly, I thought it'd be great for you to tell us about the geography and the size of the local council area you look after and what the fleet and its task is. Yeah, so um, first of all, Dundee, if, if every, uh, is unclear of Scotland uh, itself, is basically halfway between um, Aberdeen and uh, Edinburgh on the east coast. Its population is 150,000, um, but you, you kind of touched on it. One, one of the unique things about Dundee is the topography. So, so it is, uh, the actual size of it is eight miles by five miles. So it's a very condensed city, and it's, but it sits on a volcanic, what's called a volcanic seat. You're wondering why I'm telling this story, but it's actually, it's the topography, it, it actually uh, acts like a bowl. So we sit in, in this sort of bowl. So my, this journey uh, moving over to uh, electric vehicles started over 13 years ago. Probably see, um, that's why I've got so many grey hairs. But the, 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 why the story on the, on the topography of the city is that all the transportation, roughly about 38% of the pollution, air pollution in the city, is caused by transportation. And the difference where most cities of the world, etc., all this pollution has got somewhere to go. But this topography, as I just talked about, sitting in a bowl, it just like sits like a soup in the city, unfortunately, because of the way the way it, the way the topography is. So, the, um, way back then, 13 years ago, I went to an air quality meeting and, and discovered all, all these issues that we we had with transportation. And at that point, I went. I had four young children. Um, Dundee's my city, and I just thought we're going to have to change this. We're going to have to do something about this. So that was the, the start of the journey. Um, as you've touched on, I mean, this we, I've moved slowly but surely, uh, moving my vehicles as a fleet. I've got a fleet of roughly about 850 vehicles on the road and, and as a local authority. And that goes from a, a, a small van all the way up to uh, refuge vehicles, sweepers, etc. So a, a wide range. So I think I'm actually close to about 270 vehicles now, since um, so we're we're accelerating very quickly. But obviously, a key element to that is infrastructure, as you touched on. And on that, I, I, I you'll you'll probably as we go through this podcast, you know how I get obsessed by things. And instead of just sitting with my fleet, I thought, well, I can I can only do a small proportion of cleaning up the air quality in the city, uh, and. So I'm really going to have to do this holistically across the city. So I'm really going to have to look at infrastructure for catering for the private sector, 
the other public bodies like the NHS, the police, etc. And and what does that look like? What does that infrastructure look like in in the city? So uh, it's been a, a journey, um, and I'm you know quite happy to go in depth into various elements like uh, the electric RCVs, like the sweepers, or some of the in innovative infrastructure projects. But what I would like to think we can get the key theme through this is renewable energy, which is the key to all this, and where I think uh, certainly Australia can benefit uh, um, from. You've got a bit of sun out there. I, I know you do, because I, I lived out there for two and a half years, a long time ago, 30 years ago. So I'm aware that the, the potential is, is there for renewable energy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this podcast. Yeah, no, I've got a lot of questions. And one um, that just sort of popped into my head was um, how you said that you've taken on sort of like the whole county to help provide the infrastructure for people that may be outside your remit. So, yeah, let's come back to that theme at some point too. Um, but I mentioned in the intro that you've, I see that you've been scooping up awards. So you personally were named among so-called Greenfleet's top 100 most influential in green transport. Dundee Council was recently named top public transport authority at an EV Innovation and Excellence Awards. And then you also got named for having one of the best five green charging hubs in Britain. Um, so you've already told us when you started on the EV transition. And um, I'm just wondering sort of like initially if you can go back that 13, I think you said it was 13 or 15 years, how you initially sort of started to bring about the transformation? Because we still have a lot of people here that are just starting. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll try and condense this really quickly. Yeah. It's, it's 13 years, but if I'm going to go uh, back to the start, it, the, the key for, for me was the introduction of the Nissan Leaf into the, you know, I hadn't seen any other vehicle that really could do the job of a diesel vehicle until the Nissan Leaf came along. Um, and so that is where the 13 years comes from, because that was where it was introduced. It, classically, how I, I started was four chargers and four Nissan Leafs. That's how it, it began, and I did a trial for two, three months to understand it, um, and then started slowly adding a few. I then got involved in the taxi industry. I test the taxi industry, um, uh, not just for Dundee, but for uh, uh, Angus, which is a, a neighbouring authority. And I started getting the taxis interested in electric vehicles and from that it kind of snowballed and as I said probably two years into that I had that moment of going we can only do so much to make the difference here um, and at that point I started looking at a strategy across the whole city and that then developed to, uh, to the wider region as well so to put to put to understand that we started I was lucky enough to go to other places in the world, like Norway, who are, who are very much leaders in this field. I was in other places like Barcelona and, and other European cities, etc. And and just gathering information and how what sort of technology was available at that time. And as we know, technology is going so fast just now. So it was just all about the, when people ask me about our strategy. Our strategy just every six months was a change in feast. 
because you just had to adapt to what was coming. So the hubs, charging EV hubs, were the very beginning of what I would say is our holistic strategy. Um, and with that, we also looked at my point about looking at this as a whole city was that we intentionally didn't just go for the affluent area and start putting our infrastructure in the affluent area. We went for areas of um, the sort of students, we've got a student, big student population, we've got an area of working class sort of uh, communities and we built our first charging hub there. So, and again, from the very beginning, as I talked to right at the start here, we looked at solar energy with battery storage to uh, not fully uh, at this point for the for the energy, but 50% of the energy. So we built ultimately three of these chargers, one in the city centre, one in um, the east, and then we went to the affluent area in the west, and we built them across the city. And once all through this, we start, you start developing and you start understanding what you can and can't do. Um, and the, th the third one, by the time we got to the third one, we, it wasn't actually called that at the time, but it's now known as a multimodal hub, where we built a hub next to the, the um, railway station, uh, bus stop, the cycling and walking route, all the way into the city centre. So ultimately what we want to do, all the vehicles uh, coming from the rural areas, we want them, they're coming into the city centre, we're the urban heart, so what they do is they leave the, the, the vehicles at the hub and then take the other modes of transport into the city. So anyone that's been to Scotland knows that that's all very well and it's all lovely and it works in the summertime. But sometimes in the wintertime, the, the rain is coming at right angles to you. And by the time you get to that train, your fingers are blue. So we understood again that maybe people coming into the city will not want to stop their vehicle, go and get another uh, mode of transport into the city, especially in the winter time. So what we then developed was the next line of defence, which was um, the, we've got four multi-storey car parks around the outside of our city centre. And we've I started then putting infrastructure into them, again with renewable energy, now with Tesla battery storage. So if in a multi-storey car park, if you come in there to charge, then you will get the solar that's been generated the day before. And then if it's not getting used at all, the, that energy goes to the barrier system, it goes to the lighting. It's always looking to, to utilize the renewable energy piece of it. I roll it on, I went to the third one and, and I sold the entire roof of the car park meaning I've got enough energy just to build on what we've got. Um, and then the fourth one that we're multi-storey car park is at the moment is a 17 million pound project. And that is combining uh, EV charging with cycling, with uh, all the other modes of transport all on one site. So it's, it's quite a, a, a evolution as you go by and it, as the um, infrastructure changes as well. So, what I would say, I always say to anybody, you just got to start small and then just build, but understand what you're, what you're trying to achieve. And ultimately what we were trying to achieve is, I talked about 150,000 population. We built the first uh, Victorian Albert Museum outside London in 2018. 
And in 2019, 1.1 million people came to visit that museum. So you could imagine the transport impact that has. So going back to the, all, all the discussions on the infrastructure strategy, it, it becomes uh, the understanding that if we have vehicles coming in from the west of the city and we, and we really want them to come in from the east, we will put the infrastructure on those, that multi-storey car park, we'll maybe charge them five times the tariff. And on the one on the other side of the city, we'll give it for free. So ultimately what we've now got is we are manipulating the transportation system through parking and charging. And that's the, the bigger piece strategy of, of how, how we've gone about things. Um, and then I can talk about the, the, the fourth hub, which is uh, fourth and fifth hubs, which are now even more innovation if, if later on. Wow, what an adventure and so holistic. I wonder how you um, like measure the impact. So you're talking about your, the stimulation for the whole sort of thing was to get better air quality. So is there a measure of air quality today that shows that you've done something fantastic? Yeah, so we've, we've reduced the air quality in the last six years by 8%. So that number that I've got them um, sitting up there, which was 38%, is getting close to 30% now. So uh, probably when I talked about the other problem that we've got is we've got extremely narrow streets because it's a very old city. So they were certainly not built for buses and and and, uh, and uh, coaches and things going through the middle of the city. So um, yeah, so so we've got uh, air quality monitoring throughout the city. Uh, again, to understand that a lot, most places, most cities in the world have air quality management areas, which are they're, they're hot spots, as you would say, of, of pollution. The, 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 the issue in Dundee is we had to make the whole city, the entire city, an air quality management area. The pollution was that bad, as I described. So, um, eight percent is uh, might not seem a lot, but it, it is quite significant. Um, you know, you've 8% of nasty, uh, toxic air has been reduced in the city, you know. So it is, it is significant and it's coming down constantly as we, I'll put this in context, I'll, on my fleet alone, every time I change over a, a refuge vehicle, that is, reduces my annual diesel um, uh, costs by 1%. So I've, I've just put in eight of these uh, electric uh, bin lorries and that is 8% uh, reduction in our diesel. So things like that make a, a huge difference. So while you've been sort of um, dedicated to bringing about better air quality, I also noted that um, something you've been getting accolades for recently is this novelty of pure rainwater on tap for customers at some big charging hub. So I haven't been to Dundee. I know you're famous for your Dundee cake. <laughs> now, will you also be renowned for your pure water? Like, what's it all about? What's this whole water thing about? How did it come about? How has so, it been so by consumers? Yeah, so, so the, the, this is part of what I said earlier on, which is the innovation piece, where um, when you start, so I'll go back to even the second hub we built. We built all the, um, you know, instead of you using uh, normal materials for building the hubs, when the engineers are getting involved, when you're starting to understand that we're, we're trying to change our environment, 
the, the, the plinths, the, the concrete plinths all around the, the second hub are actually second, uh, um, uh, re renew renewable plastic bottles. They're actually plastic bottles that have been recycled all the way around the, the site. So that's the sort of thinking when you start getting involved in this. So many people go, well, have you thought of this, you thought of that. I, I've been involved in, in um, many projects, including around the region with all this. And one of the, the major um, you know, tourist attractions is, is golf around about here, as you're probably aware. And St Andrews is just 15 minutes up the road from here. So I that up to the golf. Yeah, so I, I've been uh, talking to the environmental uh, guy for the RNA who run the Open um, and runs St Andrews for many, many years. Uh, and he, they got involved with a company called Blue Water. And I was at a conference about four, four or five years ago, and he just described about how much water, how much plastics are in our water today. So going through our tap system, you turn on the tap. In the UK, I'm not 100% sure about Australia, but definitely in the UK, we roughly eat a credit card of plastic a week drinking out of our water system. That is a scary, scary, when you put it into your head. So that's always stuck with me. And and this company called Blue Water came along, they went to the RNA. And, and when I was building the fourth hub, I obviously had an ideal area because I've got solar canopies that are described on top of these chargers. So it was an ideal, ideal area for capturing the water. So what is in you, you ultimately what we've got is people coming up to charge uh, at their, the latest um, charging hub. The water, rainwater, it sometimes rains in Dundee. The rainwater hits the uh, solar canopy. It then goes into it goes through a filtration system, and then each of the hubs there are two two watering stations so you take your renewable plastic bottle when you go to charge up you can then go and take get the tap water which has gone nowhere near the drainage water system so nowhere near the the, the, the plastics etc and that is all about uh, another environmental impact of, of building hubs so that if we're looking at building say 10 hubs across the city every Quarter, uh, half a kilometre, we will have fresh drinking water for for everybody in Dundee. So it's just another piece. Also at that hub, we've we've looked at one of the things that we we actually got challenged on from our, our leadership here was uh, accessibility. So we looked at normal garages, normal diesel and and petrol and lead petrol garages of today, and we're quite shocked by the fact that very little is done to cater for people that with uh, disabilities. Now that disability could be their eyesight, it can be they're in a wheelchair, it can be arthritis. There are so many different elements here. And at the moment, it, it, certainly in the UK, the, that sort of whole community of our, of our society is not catered for when they're fueling up. In fact, doing our, you know, going out and speaking to this, these groups, we found that on a Monday and a Friday, they just wouldn't fuel up because they got so much abuse because they took so long to, to fuel up and, and people didn't like that. So it, it was quite an a, a eye-opening scenario that we found ourselves in where we were starting from square one. So to, uh, so what we did was then we've, and we don't have plinths on our chargers, we've sort of lower, 
The lighting is certainly different. We've got bump stops so that wheelchairs can, can work in it. We've got retractable reels for the chargers. So it's all about catering for everyone and not missing anybody out saying, look, you, I'm sorry, you've got arthritis, you can't drive an EV. So, um, yeah, so that was all combined into one. For that site as well, I've got one of the biggest, and I would think this is worldwide, one of the biggest um, issues is the actual cost of putting in a new energy source, so a new substation. That energy cost is is the, the, the big one when you're starting these projects. And what I then developed was on that site that I've just described, this hub with the, um, the what has all the disabled uh, charging uh, infrastructure and the water, I've also built right next to it charging infrastructure for my construction depot. Um, which is roughly about uh, 280 vehicles. So that's all on one site. It's separated left and right, but it means I only have to have one uh, upgrade. So, and it caters with two. And then, roll this on, I, I, I went, as you can hear, I, I, I take things like a sore stomach. I then decided that we were not going back to diesel and petrol. So I, I ripped out the, the existing fuel tanks. I removed them and said, this, this has got to end, you're not getting any diesel because I'm taking the fuel uh, source, the tanks, out. So I took them out and then somebody told me, uh, by the way, that was the reserve for uh, emergencies, fuel for um, fire brigade, the police, etc. So I went, oh God, right, okay. So ultimately, and this was my thinking anyway, so building all this solar on top of all this infrastructure that I've described then goes into a connected energy solution, which is second life batteries, which is your Renault Zoe's second life all stacked up. So now on that site, I have roughly about 800 kilowatts stored constantly of electricity through the renewable energy. And that allows me, as I've talked about the numbers that I've given out of my fleet. So all my Meals on Wheels vans in the city are all electric. Now, if those uh, that we have an electric, if a shortage goes down, then the old people in Dundee don't get their uh, their meals because we don't have any electricity. So therefore, I have to have that resilience piece. If I, uh, if, I if the old people don't have their meals, I think they'll come out and live in Sydney, to be honest, because obviously that's how serious it is if, if you don't have that resilience. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, I've never sort of uh, gone down that angle of uh, catering for people with um, any sort of disabilities, so that's fantastic to hear. Um, so infrastructure here in Australia is a big concern because we've been um, a bit late to adopt the EV technology, but it's happening very fast now. Um, so I think you've given us some really good insights. Are there any other lessons about charging infrastructure that you know we might sort of glean from you? So, so I've actually last week I was speaking to uh, Adelaide Council, um, and I understand where you are and where you've got to get to. So I've got a wee bit insight, and also having lived out there, um, I know it's slightly sunny at, at times. So I, I, I'm in the same boat here. So what we've got to avoid, certainly in Scotland, is we've got to avoid just letting the um, 
private industry just come in and put the charging infrastructure in. I'm not against private. Don't get me wrong. I've got nothing. I'm not saying we we don't need them. We need the money. We need the, the, the private investment. But what we, you have to avoid is a scenario in, in, in Scotland of if all the cities like Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen and Dundee, a private investor will come in to those uh, urban areas and they will invest because they see the return. What ultimately happens is all the rural areas surrounding that urban area will be left out because there is no real return on that. Or putting charge infrastructure on street charging is another one uh, on our streets. Now, the council owns the streets. We're never going to get away from putting all this uh, infrastructure in without us, our involvement. So I think there has to be some sort of partnership. And sometimes that can be quite difficult, public-private partnership. But I think that is the best way to go forward. And for me, I'll, I'll bang the drum again, Australia is in that brilliant position where you can use renewable energy all day long with all the sun that you've got. And if, if uh, I, I now am in a position where I'm going into a private-public partnership to, to take this to the next level, and my remit is to provide that renewable energy piece, because I, just to put this into context, my, a, a bin lorry, for our sake, a refuge vehicle I have got needs 300 kilowatts, a 300 kilowatt battery. I've got eight of them, I see, on one site. If I don't have renewable energy supporting that, I'll start to put the lights out in Dundee. You know, it's, it's just, you know, when you get, look at those numbers, we need to, that, bang that drum about the renewable energy. And I think Australia is in a, a fantastic position to, 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 you know, capture all, all, all the, the, the resources that you have. And, and, and certainly Sydney, I, I, I lived there for six months. I, I would start uh, taking certain areas rather than trying. I know I've talked about my holistic one, but I started on, as I said, one area and then move on to the next area, move on to the next. Rather, you just see if you try and take this all in a winner. By the time you're finished writing out your strategy, it's all old technology as, as well. I would, the other thing that I do, all these projects that I talk about is put over capacity. So you make sure that you've got enough energy so that you can build on what you have. Because as we've seen over the years, everybody thought 50 kilowatts was the, the golden egg and it was absolutely fantastic. And you wake up in the morning and somebody's got a 350 kilowatt charger. So you need to make sure that you've got enough capacity going forward. I also think we have to get a mindset away from the, we, what we do just now is we go there and we charge up in a hub or a, or a garage just now. Let's just replace it with that. I think that the, where, we, where, where we found is that there's all different solutions uh, across, as I said, charging from home. To me, for, for me, at this moment in time, I'm eight pence a kilowatt charging from home. Why, why would I go to the charging hub? Because it's so, so much dearer. Um, and then on street solutions, so we, we've got what we, what's called uh, pop-up chargers from a company called Urban Fox, where we've had issues with street furniture. You're in, your, in, in the middle of your city, you've got, they've got enough stuff there as it is with benches and everything like that. So, these, these, so we, we did put some chargers in, the, in our pavements that, uh, to begin with way back, but now what we've got is we've worked with this company where the actual charger is in the ground. So it's actually in your pavement and it only initiates when you get your app and your satellite and you bring it out the ground. 
you charge your car once it's finished 70 seconds or whatever it goes back into the ground now we've we're away put um we're at the moment we've got another 18 of these we're putting in the ground we'll have about 50 of them by the end of the year now the the, the benefit of that is if you've got va vandalism it's very difficult to vandalize something that's in the ground uh, also uh, if you go to some affluent areas where they don't want unsightly chargers the opposite is that it's the, the, they're not ruining the say their nice park um, and ultimately though if the charger for some reason is broken an engineer comes along takes four bolts out takes the charger out puts a new one in puts it back again and goes and fixes it so your downtime is extremely low um, which brings me on to the key to the all my charging infrastructure is or anywhere in the world if you put it in the ground it's only as good as if it's working so you've got to have an unbelievable service and maintenance program to make sure that all this charging infrastructure that you are putting in the ground works because what i've seen over the last four or five years is all these great projects put them in the ground and then they stop working for whatever reason and you just turn up as a, a user and the charger's not working it's a pointless exercise so given where i am i've roughly about 98 percent of all my infrastructure is working at all times i have two engineers in the city we we i know i drift on a bit but we also have coaches that have set up a coach company of uh, electric coach called ember um company and they started off and indeed have now got i think it's got close to uh, 35 coaches and they all charge in the city and they a lot of students going back and forward now if that infrastructure is not working then the coach is not charged and then we're in big trouble so that piece about making sure that the maintenance and and servicing is up to up to standard i mean we have got a, a downtime on those coach charges of of one hour if that char our charger goes down I, our contract is within an hour that's sorted that gives you an idea of what, what you have to do once you get this the, the whole thing up and running uh just from that i'm just curious like where do you get your renewable energy do you have geothermal seeing as you're sitting in some volcanic bowl so we, yeah we have we have a mixture it, certainly for my infrastructure on uh, because it's scattered across the city solar has certainly been the main one um you just use the buildings etc and build hubs uh, build um, canopies but uh, we also have uh, our sports center or for argument's sake has got 26 heat pumps for the very point that you've made and uh, taking the heat out so that whole um infrastructure for that sports center is, is uh under soil heat pumps we also have uh, unfortunately we, we for 50 years we used to make tires for cars uh, michelin used to make them in dundee um on, they've actually left but we've now got innovation park and, and michelin themselves have not left uh, as far as investments concerned and at that site we've got wind turbines so we actually have in the city wind turbines uh, on, on the outskirts of our city uh, again we've been using that sort of energy as well and certainly the the dundee university uh, has been looking at also tidal we've got the river tay which is uh, extremely tidal right at our doorstep and they've been looking at trying to capture some of some of that energy as well so we're looking at all these different solutions
Wow, you've got a real mix going on. Um, just, I guess this will be like my last uh, question, but in Australia, again, we've seen how a change of government and a change of policy around EV has impacted adoption. And um, early this, oh, we're at about 8% of new car sales in 2023, up from 1% to each point in 2021. And we've got people forecasting a doubling to 15% this year. I'm just wondering what the, if, if you know what the proportion is in Scotland and what's the outlook for EV growth and what's helping and what's hindering that uptake? Yeah, you're right. So, so ultimately, there's there's a couple of things run here as far as driving it forward. Definitely, the government targets that were set uh, a good while ago, and and the Scottish government, for argument's sake, took a couple of years off the UK targets. So again, that that's a big driving force, and you and you set that, and that's a positive. The negative behind that is they changed the goalposts, they changed the targets. You know, you keep moving the targets back and forward. You know, customers of, of buying EVs go, oh, wait a minute, why have they said that by 2032 we're going to be all EVs and now they're going to say it's 2040? That, that's a, kind of, in my opinion, a negative. So that doesn't help. Uh, but, but definitely driven by targets. Um, I, I, on a personal note, I think our local leadership has, has also driven um, this. So I, I've got a, a really young administration, councillors that are elected members that really push me forward. And that's great, but it also causes disparity across the, the, the country. So in Dundee, as we're talking about, we've got loads and loads of uh, charged infrastructure. You go up to Aberdeen, which is only 70 miles up the road, which is traditionally oil-based, Etc. It does not have anywhere near the same amount of EVs because it's got a different issue around moving away and, and, the, and the pace. So what you end up is is there's not the same spread across the city, the, sorry, the country that you probably want. There's, there's a, a disparity there. However, I think that um, given the size of Scotland, that we, we're we're in a position that we we probably can join the dots up and but i think that's what every country is going to be the same it might be sydney it might be perth but melbourne might not be going at the same rate how, how do you then join that up together by by showing them what you've done and, and the benefits of it i think so i i can't also talk enough about communication with and this sounds oh why would you not do that but it sounds at times is something like your podcast getting the messages out there to people because there's so many stories about these electric vehicles blowing up and they're terrible and they're bad there's still a lot of stuff of misinformation or lack of knowledge that still exists big time out there we in scotland are probably accelerating to about 18 percent i would think that dundee is heading towards that very right now whereas as I said, Glasgow might be only at 10%, but in general, you're talking about, but it comes, what I found is also, it comes in leaps and then it slows down a bit and then goes again. And and, and all behind that is communication. Um, and, and I've just on Dundee, we have a, 
We try every couple of months to put a double page spread in our local newspaper just to tell the people what we're doing with our projects going forward, why we're doing it, what the benefits are. Then you take all the flat back. Some of it is positive and some of it's negative. But, you know, you, that communication piece, when, when we built the hub, the first hub, I think more people in Amsterdam knew what we did than they were in Dundee. Like people were going past the bus going, I wonder what that nice looking thing is. But they had no idea what it was. And I was in Amsterdam telling everybody, oh, this is, uh, this is what we built, etc." So we did it. We had a lot of learning to do to, to understand. We had a, a focus group. That, I use this one all the time. We've got a focus group just to find out what people think and we're doing the right thing. So when it comes to the building these projects, we don't get too much flack because they, everybody knows. But on these questions, you still even get to Dave, a guy saying, do I need to carry a can of electricity in my boot of my electric vehicle? Now, I obviously said, for God's sake, do not carry a can of electricity, please. But you understood his thought process, which was, I do it for petrol. Do I need to do it for an electric vehicle? And I just think all that communication piece for driving these num the numbers up and the targets up is, is crucial as we go forward. And as I said to you, I've got... Uh, local elected members, the the Lord, uh, sorry, the leader of the uh, administration here, uh, a guy called John Alexander, kind of visionary. He he back in 2018 got his his wife and his uh, diesel cars and got rid of them and bought a second-hand Nissan Leaf in 2018 and said to the public at Dundee, "I'm doing this." Come and come and join us. This is the, what we've got to do. So when you've got leadership like that, it, it's like gold dust. Well, Fraser, it sounds like you are a very deserving award-winning uh, leader. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our podcast and our audience. Lots of fantastic insights and great lessons for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. been listening to Fleet News Group podcast. It was edited and produced by Isabella Fiorentino. You can follow us on Spotify, just search for Fleet News Group. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Our website is fleetnewsgroup.com where you can get all of our stories, videos and podcasts. Until next time, drive safely and take care.